That's right. You are listening to Windsor's Inside Pulse for the latest news, views, and opinions here in our great region of Windsor and Essex County. We remind you that, that the views and opinions expressed on this show or those of our co-hosts do not necessarily reflect the views of any media outlets or any political parties or organizations. We are recording on Wednesday, August 18th, approximately 5.15 p.m. Please remember to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That being said, my name is Al Tashuba, co-hosting and joined remotely with Daniel Ablisser and Dave Sundin and Christine Brooks. And I'd like to say that this show is dedicated to all those who are in Afghanistan and all those who, like Windsor's Corporal Andrew Grenon, died in Afghanistan in the hopes of squelching the Taliban and all the veterans who fought to bring a better future to the people of Afghanistan. All right. Yeah, yes, indeed. So as we follow international stories, the big story prior to that was the writ drop being on Sunday, something that our panel had predicted coming up around this time when the election actually would be September 20th or leading into the 19th. We'll see when the MPs get sworn in. That's another thing. But at the end of the day, we are in election mode. Nobody's really talking about you know, why an election was called. Again, these always seem to be like first one or two or three day stories, and then they're going into the issues. And the issues right now, as Christine mentioned, are international issues, but they're also local issues. And I want to give an example, because I don't think I've ever seen this done before, is Mayor Drew Dilkin's office actually sent out all the candidates today in a nonpartisan fashion and after reviewing his email with Elections Canada to confirm that it was acceptable, actually pointed all the candidates to the city website, platform for windsor that's the number four, platform windsorca asking each Windsor West candidate to support in, I guess, in principle, like to advocate the intention that they will advocate for this during the campaign. And, you know, if they become an MP and this is unheard of, I'm very, very happy he did it. It actually took me about two minutes to get a hold of Anthony, talk about it and confirm, yeah, this is a no brainer. Part of the platform for the Anthony Orlando campaign, for example, is to advocate for federal dollars, more federal dollars to come to Windsor to support Windsor initiatives, to support Windsor programs and infrastructure, get more federal funding here. Why should all the money go to Quebec and Toronto? And this was a no-brainer. We replied back and support. I think we might be the first one. We did it less than less than 30 minutes and we were in. I don't I can't speak to the other candidates, but Anthony Orlando is on board. Do you, Dave, do you know if Sander replied in the positive? Yeah, I haven't been plugged into the uh, the Sander campaign just yet, but uh, I would imagine any candidate um, out there would want to tap into into that and not be offside with the mayor, um, despite you know, the fact that the mayor gets a lot of um, flack, especially from left leaning uh, individuals he gets a lot of flack. Uh, he's proven uh, last election cycle, at least, that he's still very popular, um, won quite handily. So I think, you know, anyone who wants to align with the mayor and, and uh, get some good publicity is would be wise to do so. Daniel, your thoughts on this? Yeah, so, I mean, we'll, we'll come to our thoughts on the election in a moment. Al decided to go right into this uh, this piece with the, with the mayor. It is somewhat surprising that the mayor has done this. I don't recall this being done in the past where it looks like the mayor is going to wade in as heavily into the federal election. Um, I, I think most of this is non-controversial and things that you know generally uh, Windsor candidates would be in support of, but the devil is in the details somewhat. So for example, I think one of the things deals with the mega hospital. And of course the mega hospital is entirely a provincial initiative, but the federal relationship is that it looks to me like the mayor is calling for an increase in transfers for health from the feds to the provinces. And so that may be a bit of a devil's in the details as to whether or not the individual parties are all prepared to fund that and tax that at the federal level. So these things I think are a bit devil in the detail. I think it's a bit interesting that the mayor decided to do this in this fashion. Um, you know, I think that there will be some comments on that in the community in the coming days, but it's something that we will certainly be watching. Christine? Yes, it's very interesting. Um, in, a, in a sense, it's the, uh, it's the mayor's wish list. It's also probably a lot of uh, uh, Windsorites wish list. Um, I think all of those things are things that we have been talking about that are very important for Windsor. Healthcare funding, we know that we need this. 
future for automotive, the supply chain uh, invest, uh, you know, ensuring the supply chain. We know how important this is for, for Windsor. So again, I think uh, this is, uh, I think it's brilliant that uh, uh, Anthony uh, already uh, talked and, and, and uh, uh, you know, agreed on all this. Uh, Dave? Yeah, and, and right right now, I don't think it's overly controversial for the mayor to throw out uh, a, a wish list. I guess it becomes a problem if some don't sign on and he calls them out for it. Maybe at that point, it's a it's an issue. But I, I am glad to see that, um, you know, there'll be a couple of exciting races uh, going on in, in Windsor proper, at least. So Windsor to come see Windsor West. It looks like uh, NDP uh, liberal battles primarily um, still waiting to, to get some clarity as to what the heck is happening as for the Liberals out in Essex. Uh, I'm surprised that, you know, the, the party who has the ability to, to call the election and did so didn't already have lined up 338 candidates. So we're still waiting to hear who is going to be uh, the candidate in Essex for the Liberals. But, uh, you know, as of right now, it looks like, you know, it doesn't matter unless it's a superstar candidate that the party's lined up, it's going to be a, a conservative um, NDP battle out there between Tracy Ramsey and, and Chris Lewis. Uh, I agree with Dave, and I think Eddie's Eddie Haddad, the president of Essex, is going to have something. And they're not going to not go without, you know, the government in, in power is not going to go without 338 candidates. But Dave, you called it right. I mean, Essex is about conservative and NDP. Uh, Windsor, Tecumseh, I got to tell you, you know, uh, I'm surprised Leo didn't continue second round. I thought he did pretty well. Um but we're going to see how that one uh, certainly plays out. Eric, though, is the incumbent. I mean, I think it's his his seat to lose at this point. And as far as Windsor West, <laughs> you know, I, I've been reading some of the comments. I If there is a fatigue, if there is a fatigue of incumbency, and that means a fatigue on Brian Massey, and honestly, if they're looking for something fresh, because Sandra, you know, really has got, she's got a lot of years of experience, but if people are looking for something new, then they might be looking at Anthony Orlando. But I know the Windsor Star is poising that as a two-person race. We're, we're going to see how this plays out. But, um, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the nice thing about the fact that there is, I think, tr three true battles. Uh, every riding is going to be a battle. It's just a matter of mm -hmm. who the players are. But every, every riding is a battle. The nice thing about that is um, the NDP won't be able to pool resources to the weakest link. Um, and, and so I think Brian's going to say, I'm not sending supporters out to, to help Tracy or Cheryl. And he's going to say, I'm not sending supporters out to, to help Cheryl or Brian. And it just means that they've got to fight a battle on all three fronts, because in the past, it's been, um, you know, three strong NDP candidates, uh, maybe a stronger liberal or conservative candidate here or there, but, but they haven't had to fight uh, on, on every front to, to try to retain or gain seats in quite some time so it'd be interesting I, I would go one step further they did that on the provincial election as well when Taras was battling Chris Lewis on the provincial front and uh Chris Lewis was gaining ground they they pooled the resources they they want to try to protect their own their union they're like very tight but yeah Brian's pretty well I think fighting for his life on this one here yeah I think, so I, I think that I mean, the storyline in Windsor at this point is that we've got these three rematch elections. That's that's somewhat unique in that you have Windsor West, which is, of course, a rematch between Brian and Sandra, and then the two Essex and Tecumseh, which are both rematches where the incumbent was defeated two years ago and is running to get their job back um, or their, their prior job back. So I think that that is going to make for three interesting elections. Uh, it, it's certainly going to be interesting to watch um, how the federal campaigns play into the local races. Um, so I, I don't think that any of the three incumbents expect this to be a cakewalk. Uh, they're probably the favorites in a, you know, just because they are the incumbents, they won last time around. They have some additional resources because they've been able to have political staff for the last two years that can then take a break from being political staff. Their signs are up. <laughs> and, and, and their signs are up a little faster, but that's all. And, and assist on their campaigns. But um, look, it is going to be something interesting to watch at the local level. I'm sure that we will be uh, talking about this over the next five weeks, each week on our show. I, I guess before we'll, we'll get in maybe a bit to the federal race generally before we move on to the next topic. But I think just for for our listeners, 
um, maybe we should put our biases on the on, on the table. We are an opinion show, but we all have our opinions. I mean, I will say that I consider myself sort of a center-right voter, but I, I expect that I'll probably be voting liberal this election. I'm going to volunteer somewhat on a liberal campaign, not in a major way, but but somewhat. So I guess maybe we'll go around the horn and so that everyone can know what they're listening to with us, uh, where people on this panel stand at this point so that so that people know what they're getting from us. So uh, Christine, shall we go to you first on that? Yes, although I wanted to say that, am I on? Yep. Okay. Um, I just wanted to say that I really have to commend uh, Ann Jarvis on her articles. They were really interesting the way she presented. She had two really good articles. We're posting them on our website here. And uh, I, uh, the only thing I would say is that she underestimates the conservative uh, new face uh, for Windsor West. We have Anthony Orlando. And so here, you know, know what my leanings are. We have someone from a, a, a business uh, uh, background who will be coming in and I think uh, presenting something that I think many Canadians will want post-COVID. Uh, Post-COVID is uh, turning out to be a very uh, interesting and difficult, I think it will, have, will be proven, that certain segments of the population have had to work harder and have been asked to make greater sacrifices than others in the uh, in the the COVID time period, uh, it is it will take someone who has some uh, business and economic savvy to uh, manage and to represent the um, uh, our path and ensure a, a, a good path post COVID path towards a financial uh, recuperation from the costs associated with uh, with COVID as well as ensure employment in our area, which has been extremely low compared to the rest of Canada. So that's my, my take on it for now. Um, and I will go on to Al maybe. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm the president of the Conservative Party Riding Association in Windsor West. So this, and Christine's the CFO. So, I mean, our, our allegiances are there, but we are talking about a Windsor show and my overall loyalty and passion is for Windsor and Essex County. So I, I've always advocated, you know, what is good for Windsor? And I believe what's good for Windsor are MPs that have a seat at the governing table bringing in funding, such as supporting things like the Mayor's Plan platform for Windsor.ca and supporting initiatives that can, you know, help our region. At the same time, conservative principles and values help make the economy and make Canada a better, stronger place and better leadership. You know, we've seen Harper as an international powerhouse when he was in, in, in power, you know, respected by all. So the, these are the things that have to have a balance, but my first loyalty is to Windsor. And, you know, Aaron O'Toole should really outshine everyone who is not counting on him to do well. It kind of reminds me 2015 when they thought Trudeau's threshold was so low and then he surprised people because he did well. In in the debates and he didn't stumble and became prime minister. What is Aaron O'Toole's expectations? Pretty low because they don't know him, but I know Aaron O'Toole and I can tell you he will surprise the heck out of anyone uh, he meets and he will do extremely well in the debates, especially the French debate. So Dave, do you want to uh, talk about your, uh, I, I mean, I guess most people know you've run before under a uh, red banner. So we'll yeah. let you talk about your allegiances, where you stand, and then maybe we'll do one more round just talking about the federal race generally. Sure. So um, obviously a former uh, Windsor West uh, candidate for the Liberals, um, the original team Trudeau 2015. Um, so I, I'm rooting for Eric and Sandra um, to to unseat, uh, well, Eric to retain a seat and, and Sandra to unseat uh, Brian Massey would uh, is what I'm rooting for. Depending on who the Liberal candidate is out in Essex, though, um, uh, I might be rooting for Chris Lewis to retain his seat just for uh, for two things. One, to make sure you had your bets in case the national campaign goes sideways and we end up with a conservative government. And two, because I, I think that in, you know, I grew up out in Essex, uh, in Kingsville, in the riding of Essex. And uh, I, I think out there it's a conservative vote and anti-conservative vote. So if Tracy Ramsey's, you know, loses again, uh, I don't think she runs again. And perhaps next time the anti-conservative vote coalesces around a liberal. So I think long-term it's better to have a conservative versus liberal fight out there. And that's only gonna happen once once Tracy's out of the picture. And she's, she's you know, the, the anti-conservative votes coalesced around her. So um, so that's who I'm rooting for. Um, again, it all depends on who the liberal candidate is. Perhaps it can be a friend of mine, I'll be rooting for them. Um, but I, I wouldn't be heartbroken if, if Lewis won just so we can 
we can hedge our bets because I don't see the Conservatives winning in, in Windsor to come see Windsor West, uh, despite uh, Al and Christine's thoughts on those ridings. So, so Daniel, so why don't you take us around on your prediction? Yeah, so federal. turning to the federal race briefly, I, I mean, the, the first round of attacks with the post-writ call is, of course, why we're even having an election now. And I think that the Liberals have done a reasonably good job, I think, counterpunching and going back on the attack on the basis that, well, gee, opposing parties, you say you should be in government and don't want us to be in government. What are you so scared of? I think that I think that's been a decent pitch. I think that the pitch about, you know, it's time that Canadians weigh in. I don't know. I think that's working to some extent. But I think the better pitch is like, you guys want to be in government. What are you scared of? So I, I think that the Liberals have uh, survived that first attack. My general gut feel, though, um, and, and I've given you my sort of bias, I think that this election could go somewhat sideways for, for the Liberals. Um, and that doesn't mean that they shouldn't have called this election. The question in calling this election is, is this the best time for the Liberals in the next two years to have an election? I think it probably is. I think that there's reasons to suggest that it probably is. It just might not work out to, for them in the way that they expect. I think the real danger for the Liberals right now is, you know, the Liberals are maybe polling at 33, 34%, the Conservatives a couple points behind that, but everybody knows who Justin Trudeau is. Everybody has their mind made up on Justin Trudeau. Um, we're certainly not in the Sunny Ways campaign of, uh, of 2015. So Justin Trudeau is now sort of running on the platform of, I got us through the worst of COVID, and I should be the person to lead in this build back better approach. But for me, he's probably somewhere near his ceiling because everybody knows where he is. And, and I think that the risk um, for the liberals is that nobody knows who Aaron O'Toole is. And the conservatives are already polling right at about 30, 31 percent. No, he is. He's a good guy. Well, yeah, you know, you know who he is, but you're a nobody. So uh, I'm, just, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm, I'm one just, vote. I'm one vote is what I, I, okay. I, I, I think that. Uh, just the general people are not aware of who Aaron O'Toole is. So if he catches fire this election in it, to a certain extent, like Jagmeet Singh did two years ago, the, the conservatives could really pick up nicely because they're already polling at about 30%. And most of the population isn't too familiar with who their leader is. The, Similarly, the, I think that the, the other challenge- the wrong example. Jagmeet Singh, people didn't, Jagmeet Singh didn't catch fire. The right example would be Jack Layton. Yeah, well, Jack Layton caught fire, and the NDP were opposition. It's unheard of, right? That was that was the magic time for the NDP. They had a, a inspirational leader, and he caught an attractiveness. And I see Aaron O'Toole with that very similar type of connectivity on an authentic, real basis. Yeah. And, and that may very well be what uh, what takes hold here. The, the other concern that I think that I have for the Liberals is the traditional Liberal pitch in the last 10 days of an election is this election is too important and a vote for the NDP is a wasted vote and it's a vote for the Conservatives. And I'm just not sure that that pitch sticks as much this election when the Liberals decided it was time to have an election. And is, to me, the response to that is you guys could have kept governing. You don't get to tell the electorate this is too damn important when you guys decided to force an, an election on us. So that's why I think that this the opening salvo of having the election now could come back and stick a little bit in those final 10 days when the pitch becomes you can't vote split, you can't vote for the NDP because that's going to get the conservatives in. So I, I think that's really what's going to be to watch this election. I also think that there's going to be something to watch with do the PPC pick up uh, pick up some votes and, and how does that play into the conservative vote split? So, so that's what that's what I'm watching for this election. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a liberal minority. Frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if if the conservatives actually win like a couple more seats than the liberals, but the NDP wins enough that the liberals still get to form government. We could be having an interesting sort of constitutional crisis question uh, six weeks or so from now. So uh, I've said a lot here. Christine, let me come back to you. Where do you see this thing headed generally? Yes, I, I, well, I agree with you. It'll be very interesting. I thought it was a bold move from uh, Trudeau to call the election now. Um, I think it would have been wiser for him to wait maybe until the fourth wave had completely, we had worked that out and seen what happened after all the um, students had gone back to class. As we know, as soon as the students will go back to class, there will be a, 
a, a small or large peak, depending on how well the vaccination uh, process has gone, and uh, and uh, and that's uh, something that could affect as. Uh, uh, the, the outcome, as Anne Jarvis explains, uh, illustrating with the case of Newfoundland and Labrador, where in uh, February, on February 13th, there was a whole issue in, in, that, uh, in that province. And I'll let the readers uh, uh, or our listeners read for themselves what happened and how it unfolded. But this, I think, is very important because there we are, as many people are saying, we are starting to see a fourth wave. Um, we need to absolutely get this under control. And this could actually affect uh, who and how well we are able to vote on September 20th. This being said, I think, um, I think uh, it, it, it votes very well for the Conservatives. I think the Conservatives are ready. A Prime Minister has been ineffectual in across the border and ensuring that business for 10 million people who depend on good flow of business across the border, that this has been uh, uh, brought back to in order. And this, I think, is an incredible uh, state of affairs. I think this is uh, crucial for, for business, but for people and for good relationships with our border at our, at our, you know, between the two countries. Al, why don't you give us the 30-second doorstep pitch nationally for why people should vote Conservative this election? It's actually very simple. First of all, I agree with what Christine said on the local front. Secure the future is the campaign mantra for the Conservatives, and everything stems back to that, you know, a post- uh, COVID recovery plan, a five-step plan. I mean, the Conservatives actually have put stuff together. And actually, what's very interesting is the Conservative plane says secure the future, meaning for all of Canada, secure the future. Whereas Trudeau's plane, the Liberal plane, basically says Trudeau. So many uh, columnists and cartoonists have shown the contrast and said, you know, Trudeau makes it about himself, that he's the man, it's all about him, whereas the Conservatives are about, we're all in this together as Canadians to secure the future. Well, I, I think that they're also going with the uh, tagline, uh, forward for everybody or forward for everyone, which I actually think is a pretty catchy line. So, uh, Dave, any thoughts from you? What's the Liberal pitch this election or where do you see this election heading? Yeah, I think that the, the Liberal pitch is, is going to be and has to be that uh, this election was necessary now because we had to start planning now about how we how we build back better. So you're, you're going to hear a lot of build back better, moving Canadians forward together. Uh, taglines like that, that's going to be the the broad um, pitch. Um, I think we're going to end up with a minority either way right now. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting, though, because elections do matter. And this is the first and hopefully last elect federal election we have during a pandemic where we have to figure out, you know, how people get their message out when the traditional door knocking is not as big as it has been in, in previous um, campaigns, who can get social media done better. I think the debates will matter. Uh, the televised debates will matter more this time for people to figure out who is it going to vote for. Um, social media is going to matter a lot. Uh, influence on social media, spreading things um, is going to matter a lot as to who people don't vote for, who people do vote for. Um, so uh, I'm predicting a liberal minority government, um, but uh, it could go conservative um minority but but then liberals get it because there's enough ndp the, the key is going to be if it is a liberal minority and they have fewer seats than conservatives whether or not there's enough ndp support for those two parties to command a majority i don't think anyone wants to go back down the uh the road of the the dion uh Leighton, um Ducep, uh, unholy uh, alliance when you had to rely on separatists in order to to govern i don't think anyone back wants up to one do second. that if the conservatives win the most seats Aaron O'Toole is the prime minister. Now, if in the first motion of the House of Commons, it's non-confidence, then he goes to the governor general and the governor general then seeks the opportunity to speak. No, to that, that, Al, that's no, fundamentally that's wrong. The, inco the, so incumbent has the, the incumbent has the first right to prove the confidence of the House. The incumbent of meaning Trudeau has the right. Go, oh, he didn't have a confidence motion to get this election to begin with. Doesn't It doesn't, it doesn't matter. The... The Constitutional Convention is that the incumbent has the right to prove the confidence of the House. And if they prove the confidence of the House, 
they remain prime minister. So how is, okay, so that's because the incumbent, but how do you explain when Stephen Harper became prime minister 2006, he started with a minority and he was instantly prime minister and it didn't require thing on the bottom of the, of all the media outlets, it says next prime minister, Stephen Harper. Yeah, he, I, I, I think there, and how, I forget. How, how is this any difference? And I, he brought it from Paul Martin. Again, part of this is exactly how close they are in seats. Like, if the Conservatives get 150-plus seats, Aaron O'Toole will be your next prime minister. If the Conservatives get 135 and the Liberals get 133 and the, and the NDP get 40, don't be surprised if the Liberals form a government either in coalition or propped up by the NDP. So that would have to happen in advance of the first session of Parliament, that the backroom deals would have to happen in advance, almost like they're, they're making a statement to the Governor General that they have the coalition. Because Harper was not the incumbent. He won from Paul Martin. He got a minority government. He he was prime minister. Yeah, I think I think it was a bit of a blowout, though. Yeah, it was a bit of a, blow, it was a, bit of a blowout, and, and Martin conceded the night of the election. If Trudeau doesn't concede anything and has conversations, he has the first kick of the can to prove that he can, can command the confidence of the House. Oh, he's got Jagmeet Singh on speed dial, man. Jagmeet will <laughs> pick up the phone before the phone even rings. It'll be like, color, boom. What, what can I do for you, sir? Whatever you want. You need my party, my votes, a thing you want me to send over? You want me to have some floor crossers and call them liberals? Whatever you want. Just All right. So we are going to move into one more story before the right. break, because I know Al has to get going. And we are going to move from national news to very local news. So some news out of Amherstburg. Two weeks ago, there was a construction project at a, at a bridge and a femur was found. And in totally unrelated but ironic news, because I want to use the headline for this show where the bodies are buried in Amherstburg, there was much more exciting political news in Amherstburg two weeks, uh, a week ago, about Tuesday. There were rumors coming out of Amherstburg of a number of senior managers being walked out of City Hall and rumors started flying around. Everything from people were being walked out in handcuffs, which does not seem to be true. Um, but ultimately where we are at is that the town of Amherstburg has put out a statement or put out a statement about a week ago that there were a number of senior managers that were basically not working for the town at present. They had not been fired. Um, there was not a criminal investigation ongoing, but there was an acting uh, CAO, which one would take to mean that the, that the existing CAO was no longer in his current role, either on a permanent or temporary basis as some sort of an investigation was was going on this week the per, uh the person who was the acting cao who had actually just joined the town about six weeks ago announced that she had just taken a new job at the town of kingsville so the town uh yesterday i believe we're recording on wednesday on tuesday the town announced oh we're actually going to have another new acting cao as of the end of august so lots of rumors flying around um we're not going to mention names um, but it, certainly it seems like there is some level of chaos at the town of Amherstburg when you have a number of managers that are not currently in their posts. So Al, I'm going to come to you first here. Uh, any thoughts on what on earth is going out in Amherstburg? I think something is going on because usually sometimes the first report, sometimes they can, they can not bury it, but they can kind of keep it at bay saying that we're still in process of looking at it and reviewing it. Um, you know, it's just too coincidental, especially with some of the names going about and some of the prior rumors of things like that. So it's, it is speculation. So every, you know, everyone's innocent until proven guilty, but I think it's a little bit deeper than what currently is being reported. We're going to see how this plays out. They may totally choose to, to keep it under wraps and just deal with it internally anyways. We may never know uh, publicly how it plays out, but it was very interesting story. Uh, and, and I think it's good in the big realm of things that there is some type of checks and balances. And if things are going sideways that, you know, authorities are, are called in to further investigate. I mean, there has to be a level of protecting uh, the right thing, and there has to be an integrity in protecting taxpayers' dollars and process. Um, now, Al, what do you, th you mentioned this, uh, what the public will find out, and there's an element of this that is a employment situation, but there's an element of this that these are public figures and public dollars. So 
What do you like? What as a if you were an Amherstburg taxpayer, what type of an explanation would you want from the town at this point, and maybe when the process is complete? I think anybody in Amherstburg should be filing freedom of information <laughs> filings and start to investigate. But this actually is the job of the media. The media is supposed to be like the the fourth pillar of society to make sure that stuff like this is being found out more than the information that's being given from city hall or town hall. There, there should be some level of media investigation to find out uh, for the public to, to bring it out. I mean, the public's busy. They got families, they got jobs, they got lives. The media's job is to find things out like that and dig deeper, like some real journalistic uh, investigation type of things. I mean, see where it plays out, see if there'll be an auditor general or provincial audit or somebody going in to scrutinize this, but just keep your eye on it. I think sometimes where there's smoke, there's fire. And in this particular case, I don't think we're getting all the facts all at once and people should be protected up to the point in which you know they're innocent and, and maybe they could be converted maybe into witnesses. Uh, but I, ju I just have this feeling that when it comes to money and deals and things like that, you know, uh, there should be tighter measures to protect the taxpayers. And, and it's okay, even if nothing ever becomes to this, but just the idea that there was scrutiny, I think makes the taxpayers feel better anyways. So Christine, uh, your, your thoughts? Yes, I think it's important that we do find out what happened. Um, it's uh, right now it's presented as very mysterious. I suspect that there are people who do know about it and who do know um, fundamentally what is happening. Um, but I think we will we will learn uh, what what's going on in the short in the near future. I think uh, it will come out. Um, I'm I'm hopeful, um, and I think as uh, as Al said, the the public has a right to know, uh, especially uh, for positions that are in the organization of the city. So I think it's important that we we know further, and and we will. Yeah, I think this is certainly going to be a story that we are going to be following. Uh, we'll see what does and doesn't come out, um, but it's certainly a story that a lot of people are talking about uh, in, frankly, in Windsor-Essex as well as just in, in Amherstburg. So it, it's going to be a story to watch. I, I think one of the questions that I have is the town has put out a statement that says that the investigation or whatever's going on is not criminal in nature. And to me, I mean, it might not be a criminal investigation, but if it's not criminal in nature, if you're not alleging that, that you're investigating some type of theft or some type of something like that, then like, what, what the heck are you investigating? I mean, are, are you alleging that, that you're, you know, potentially suspending or laying off or whatever a number of people because of incompetence? That doesn't look very good on the town. And it doesn't sound like that's what it is. The, the only, if it's not criminal in nature and it's not incompetence like what else can it possibly be like are you, the only other thing i can think of is some type of insubordination where that would not be criminal and it would not be incompetence but other than that like i'm curious like what the hell pardon my language what the heck else is there um th that this could be so i think that it's going to be something that we are going to be watching it's really too bad i mean amosburg was a bit of a mess about seven eight years ago and it seemed like the uh the good ship Amherstburg had been turned in the right direction. Um, there were, you know, a lot of good news coming out of Amherstburg and the fact that they sort of are now thrown back into crisis, it seems really isn't ideal. Um, with that being said, we are gonna take our break and we will be back for the second half in just a moment. And welcome back to the second half of Windsor's Inside Pulse. So uh, obviously these stories are gonna take a bit of a back uh, burner for a while, at least until the federal election uh, is is over and settled and, and all the news around that has, has calmed down a bit. Um, obviously, the provincial parties are getting ready for an election cycle next June, June of 2022. All of the uh, the provincial parties are trying to get their uh, houses in order. So they're well to go. They're ready to go well in advance. Um, so we have already spoken to some of the provincial candidates in previous shows. Um, this past week, there's been two uh, announcements at the provincial level. So the first is uh, Gemma Gray Hall is, uh, it looks like she's going to be the candidate in Windsor Tecumseh for the NDP. She'll be looking to replace Percy when he officially retires at the end of his term. Um, and then in Windsor West, the Liberals uh, have acclaimed uh, Linda McCurdy as their provincial candidate um, to try to unseat uh, Lisa Gretzky. So those will be two races to watch in June of 2022. Um, 
it's certainly uh, interesting to see whether or not the NDP can um, continue to retain Windsor Tecumseh once um, once Percy's gone, who's, who's very popular and kind of transcends party lines. Um, and certainly interesting to see whether or not um, Linda McCurdy can catch fire and um, I, I think finally, um, you know, take care of, of uh, unseating Lisa Gretzky, who appears to be the weakest of the three uh, NDP candidates locally still after all this time. So, Daniel, what are your thoughts on these two uh, announcing they're going to be the, uh, the candidates for the respective ridings and respective parties? Yeah, certainly. I think that the big news here is the uh, Gemma Gray Hall nomination or announcement that she's expected to be the candidate. Uh, the uh, the pro uh, provincial uh, NDP leader came down for that announcement. They really uh, did that up. I think that the NDP is going to be quite desperate to hold on to that seat that's been Percy's seat for the last uh, better part of the last decade, I believe. Um, you know, I, I think that it is interesting that they did this nomination when they did. They did it right before the federal election. It feels like it ties into wanting to have a candidate before the federal election for some reason. Um, I mean, there's questions as to was that done so that you didn't have people who didn't succeed in the federal election then trying to get that nomination? Was that done simply so that, you know, you could have uh, Gemma doing some door knocking this campaign and sort of get her feet wet with more door knocking. Of course, she was a candidate in the Ward 8, um, in the Ward 8 uh, city election in 2018. So she does have some experience, but she certainly does not have the name recognition of Percy Hatfield. So I think that that is going to be quite the battle. It's going to be maybe the, I think probably the race to watch in other than maybe Essex, uh, it's probably going to be the race to watch in the fall uh, or sorry, in the in the spring for the June 2nd uh, provincial election. Um, Linda McCurdy, I think, is also going to be a very competent candidate. But I, I think that Lisa Gretzky, um, you know, one of the challenges with the, the NDP is that when they're always the sort of second or third party, they never form government and you never throw them out of office. So that's a benefit to somebody like Lisa Gretzky, who doesn't get swept out of power in sort of a route where you throw the government out. Um, so, I, I mean, Lisa Gretzky has been, frankly, a formidable election candidate, um, even if, you know, maybe she hasn't been as loud as some, uh, as some MPPs, um, but, but I think that it will be an interesting race to watch, but, but I'm certainly watching that Tecumseh race. I mean, Andrew Dowie was out of the gates early on that. I know that he's working at that one constantly. Uh, and of course, he's not running against um, he's not running against Percy Hatfield, so it's it's an open seat. Um, I did congratulate Gemma Gray Hall on her nomination and told her we'd love to have her on the show, but wait till after the federal election because that's what everyone's going to be focusing on. So I hope that uh, we'll be able to talk to her in a couple months' time uh, when we uh, all come down off the highs of the federal election and start looking to the provincial election. Christine? Yes, well, uh, yes, two new candidates uh, and both women. And uh, definitely um, uh, with uh, Linda McCurdy, there is name recognition here as she is uh, the daughter of the late Howard McCurdy, uh, who is a local or was a local civil rights activist and professor who served as a Windsor alderman before coming, becoming Canada's second black member of parliament. Um, he was uh, uh, an NDP candidate for the federal writing of Windsor Walkerville in 1984. Uh, Star article by Trevor Willem says uh, she has been an outspoken champion of equity and diversity. Um, she uh, is uh, uh, quoted as saying that the residents of Windsor West deserve a candidate who understands their unique challenge and strengths and um, uh, she will be giving uh, a voice to their concerns and championing their causes and fighting for their families. Um, she has a law degree from the University of Windsor, Doctor of Jurisprudence from the University of Detroit Win uh, Mercy. And uh, I think um, she certainly is a, a, a good choice, I think, uh, and definitely is well known in the community. Um, then there is Gemma Gray Hall, where to Cafe Amour and Art on Ottawa Street, you had the NDP leader, Andrea Horvath, uh, newly announcing uh, the candidate, Gemma Gray-Hall, who is uh, the major gift officer at the University of Windsor, 
and who uh, prior to that was uh, president and chair of women's enterprise skills training for four years. Um, I think uh, she will be um, representing the party quite well to maintain that seat that is now Percy Hatfields. So, well, it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be a tough race. She did lose against uh, Gary Kashak in Ward 8. And um, so it'll be interesting to see how and she And Dave goes. Sundin. Dave Sundin finished second there. So we can't forget that Dave Sundin character. <laughs> so... Uh, well, that, that, with that that's said, true. Dave, I, I, I did, I did uh, best uh, Gemma, but uh, glad to see that she's uh, going to continue on the, in the political realm. Uh, my quick prediction before we move on to the next story is is this. I Unless the Liberals um, nominate a star in Windsor Tecumseh, I think Windsor Tecumseh is going to be a conservative NDP battle with the, the Liberals um, finishing a distant third or, or being forgotten about in the cycle. Um, I think in Windsor West, it's going to be a... Um, a liberal NDB battle primarily, but if John Leontowitz does his, his leg work, um, he might uh, he might impress um, and, and have a, a good strong showing. Uh, and then out in Essex, uh, again, I think it's gonna be a similar to the Chris Lewis Chiras battle last go around provincially, it's gonna be a conservative and uh, NDB battle between Anthony Liardi and, and Chiras. So that's my prediction for um, what happens provincially in a year, obviously a lot can change between now and then. And uh, I think a lot of it depends too on whether or not Doug Ford's popularity improves um, in the next, uh, the next few months. So, so there you go. Um, so the next news story, um, interesting uh, local story. Uh, I've seen the news recently about um, uh, indigenous artists, um, th their ideas being stolen or people posing as indigenous artists. Um, this is actually a, a good, good news story about indigenous art and it is the the bridge corporation and the art gallery of windsor partnering um to showcase um uh, indigenous art and so this is taken from windsor star story art gallery of windsor launches bridge artists exhibit um and it talks about crossing borders and bridging cultures in the is the home of a new art gallery of windsor exhibit featuring three local ashinaabi artists and so uh, certainly a, a really interesting um, story. Uh, apparently the art gallery is going to be uh, opening its doors um, again soon for the first time in, in well over a year. Um, and uh, it'll be nice to see some, some local um, artists, some indigenous artists um, being, being featured. So uh, Daniel, any thoughts on this? Yeah, certainly a, a good news story. Good things coming from the art gallery there. Nice to see uh, new features as the art gallery reopens up, Christine. Yes, indeed. I, I just love this uh, quote here by uh, from Teresa Altman, 73, an artist from Walpole Island First Nation. I'm absolutely thrilled that Indigenous people have been asked to be part of this bridge project. And to have my work on an international bridge is just to me and at my age, absolutely amazing. I'm so excited about it, so thrilled about it that Indigenous First Nation people are being represented. And it just makes me, I mean, it, I'm very emotional about it because I think there are voices that have not been heard in our, in our um, society and that have not been, you know, heard in the artistic world. Um, and so it's exciting that, uh, that they are going to be heard and seen and uh, I'm very, very happy that uh, the art gallery is doing this. So uh, moving on to our next story, another bigger story in the news this past week uh, was the concept of moving forward with this national urban park uh, in the Ojibwe complex. So uh, deputy minister was down in town along with Eric Kuzmarichek and the mayor was there and a whole host of people were there for this announcement that the city and the federal government have signed a collaboration agreement with, the, with a view to uniting the Ojibwe complex, which would of course also include Ojibwe Shores, which is currently controlled by the Port Authority. So they're working towards uh, this national urban park concept. There is currently one national urban park in the country in Toronto the Liberal federal government has announced a framework to look at building a bunch more of them or creating a bunch more of them. And certainly uh, wins, and certainly the Ojibwe complex is high on that list. Politically, it's something that 
uh, that Member of Parliament Brian Massey has been advocating for for quite some time. It's interesting to see the Liberals sort of jump on that bandwagon, which I think helps the Liberals, but also frankly helps Brian Massey a little bit because he gets to say, see, I get, I, I get some stuff done, even though I'm a, a third party uh, MP. So certainly an interesting story there. A good story from Ann Jarvis as well about um, a time about eight years ago when the Port Authority was looking at basically bulldozing that uh, Ojibwe Shores land and developing it. And basically a number of people coming out and saying, no, that's not going to happen. And really that's what saved it. So this is a story to follow both in terms of will this get done? And frankly, I think, what, what, is the, what do the feds pay for? Do they pay for the, uh, the overpass? Do they pay, in my view, they're taking over Spring Garden, they should be paying that, uh, that expropriation fee that the city's about to get hit with for that never ending litigation. So something to watch there, but look, I, I think it's a good news story. I don't think that there's anybody that's opposed to this. Um, so it's a good news story and a story that we're gonna be watching over the next couple of years. Dave? Yeah, I, you know, as far as the near future goes, long term, I want to see this happen, and I'm looking forward to it happening. Um, short term, I think you're right, it's gonna be a battle over the narrative. We're gonna have uh, Brian Massey saying, see, it's another thing that I've advocated for getting done. And you'll have uh, Erek and Sanders saying, yeah, the NDP just talk, we actually get things accomplished. And there's gonna be that fight, that fight over the narrative. So I think both the NDP and liberal uh, campaigns are going to jump all over this. Uh, and it'll be a point of contention between the two. Um, interesting to see who actually wins that that battle over the narrative. Um, so uh, I think when you watch the local debates, this is going to play quite prominently in that, as will the the single sports betting, um, NAVCAN, those things are going to play quite quite prominently in that debate over the narrative as to talking versus getting things done and, and who's better at, at making their pitch. Christine? The other thing that just jumped out at me a little bit about this was the term that was used was a collaboration agreement has been signed. And that to me, my spidey senses go off a little bit with that. That almost feels like there was supposed to be a larger announcement and something didn't get completed. And therefore we sort of have this, well, we're announcing that we're going to work together towards something. And it almost feels like we're on the even of an election and we were planning to have a maybe a larger announcement, maybe about Ojibwe Shores, and maybe it just wasn't ready for prime time. And so they kind of have this, announcement with the term collaboration agreement that, that just sort of felt like maybe it wasn't what the plan was supposed to be. So it's good news, but something to watch when uh, when politicos start doing, uh, you, you know, ribbon cuttings without full ribbons. Um, it, it's something to watch. Christine? Yes, well, uh, it's hard to be um, negative about something that is so exciting. Oh, as and I can always find a way. Yeah, well, I can too, actually, about about uh, about the National Urban Park. Uh, I mean, it's it's fantastic. We we need to protect uh, this uh, this area, these uh, um, Ojibwe, the the whole series of parks, and joining them is very exciting, both for for the fauna and flora, uh, that and 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 also for making it. Um, uh, accessible, and that's where um, I'm. I'm a little bit uh, worried. The more people get involved in uh, in directing it and managing it, uh, the you know, I mean, it it becomes then uh, possibly a very bureaucratic and bureauc bureaucratized. I'm hopeful that people will still um, maintain as an objective the. Um, uh, user friendliness of the whole park system and that it will not simply be a beautiful park that becomes inaccessible to humans at all and it's just all these pathways that would be closed off to humans as they become uh you know the protective uh, for this and for that and for research to be done on it uh for for biologists for example zoologists but no longer for people living in urban centers who would like to enjoy and actually see some of this wildlife. So that's where, where I kind of uh, caution to that because I'd hate it for it to just be a kind of bureaucratic, uh, you know, uh, very, very organized and no longer friendly for people, residents in Windsor. So, Christine, why don't you take us into our quick, quickly our second last story about uh, 
a, a an architecture award locally. Oh, the architectural award. This is a big thing. It only comes out once every three years. It's given to three libraries, specifically to libraries. And it's given in recognition for, for stunning design, but not only for design, but also for the functionality of the library. And uh, this was given to uh, recently to a Windsor architect, Jason Grossi's design work on the John Muir branch of the Windsor Public Library. And it had already earned him um, uh, an award before that, but uh, this is a very big award and it is called the Library Architectural and Design Transformation Award from the Ontario Library Association. For those of you who have been in it, it is absolutely beautiful. And you can understand why it is, it really does work for both the design and the functionality. I have been in it just briefly, uh, right when we had a respite, a respite from, uh, from uh, being uh, uh, locked down uh, between two, uh, two lockdowns, but uh, during COVID, but uh, I expect to be using it on a regular basis. It's just, it just, feels like a place where you want to read and you study and just it is very harmonious it has a lot of light it is a melding of old and new it is in the same way as um, the armory building downtown which has this fantastic um, ability and uh, I, I think it really was very well merited all right well with that said one final announcement with Under the Stars, the Windsor International Film Festival is having their second drive-in event starting this uh, Thursday or Friday and going for the better part of two and a half weeks. Check out their website, go see a double feature drive-in at night, or uh, I think they've got some kid mo kids movies during the day. Even though it's a drive-in, they've got a really cool LED screen so you can see and hear everything. I went last year, it was a great time, so highly recommend that as we... Uh, slowly try to get back to normal and hopefully by next November we'll have the uh, normal whiff back in the theaters. Uh, with that being said, thank you once again for joining us on Windsor's Inside Pulse. Please remember to like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app, tell us what you agree with, what you disagree with, why we're right, why we're wrong on the upcoming elections and all the news of the week. Until next time, stay safe everyone, have a great week.